Good evening. Um, <clears throat> we'll be looking at uh, uh, Hosea chapter 3. So the text this morning is Hosea, or rather this evening, is Hosea chapter 3, 1 to 5. And then we have uh, some extra readings from the Old Testament, uh, sorry, the New Testament. It should be 1 Corinthians uh, chapter uh, 13. And uh, to get going, we'll start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is speaking of the excellence of love. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, I should say first that I'm reading this from the uh, NASB. Of course, you can always follow with your uh, Bible in the pew, which is ESV, but this is NAS, NASB that I'm using. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and that if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Love is patient, love is kind. It is not jealous, love does not brag. It is not arrogant, it does not act. Disgracefully, it does not seek its own benefit, it is not provoked, it does not keep an account of a wrong suffer, it does not rejoice in the unrighteous in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, it keeps every confidence, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lord, ne love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For if we know in part and prophesy in part, I'm sorry, for we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I am also, just as I also have been fully known. But now in faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So I think we'll go on to uh, Hosea 3 here shortly, but if you've uh, been paying co close attention, you've noticed that the, uh, the series that we have been preaching here on Hosea um, has, in fact, over and over used uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, as the reading from the uh, New Testament. We have used others, but that, that 
passage, I think, has come up in uh, a series of the sermons so far. So go on to Hosea chapter 3, verse 1 to 5. It's a very short uh, chapter. And there it, it's dealing with the redemption of Goma. Then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by a husband, yet is committing adultery, as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raising kicks. So I purchase her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer or a liquor. Liquor, there's a, a, some other translation have it, half of barley. Then I said to her, you shall live with me for many days. You shall not play the prostitute, nor shall you have another man. So I will also be toward you. For the sons of Israel will live many days without a king or leader, without sacrifice or memorial stone, and without effort or household idols. Afterwards, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Uh, let, us, uh, let us pray. Father, we <clears throat> ask as we go before you that the proclamation here of your word uh, might go and accomplish the purpose for which you have purposed it for. And ask you to give us grace uh, that nothing here that is said will, be, will lead your people astray. And anything that is said that uh, is not consistent here with your word, O oh God, we pray that it might soon be dissipated from their minds and only those things that are really representative of who you are will lodge itself uh, amongst them in their way of being in the world, the way of, uh, of doing in the world. Yeah, now, O oh God, our prayers in the name of Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Uh, like I said before, that uh, this uh, Hosea chapter 3 is a continuation of the series that we started here some time ago. For most of you who didn't know this, I started this series uh, uh, about a, more than 10 years back and was never able to finish it, so that this opportunity would have come up uh, more than 10 years later. I decided this might be a, a good time to see if I can finish the series. And so we are at the point now at uh, Hosea chapter 3 uh, and the continuation of the series on Hosea. Uh, Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, uh, one time, uh, we've dealt with him again and again in this, uh, uh, in this study here with Hosea. He used to be the one-time pastor at uh, First Presbyterian Church. As some of you may not know it, but he actually visited us here uh, several times and I, at my seminary graduation, he spoke there. This is incredible. So Dr. James Montgomery Boyce has called this chapter of Hosea the greatest chapter in the Bible because it so sharply, rather it is so sharply and concisely illustrative 
of the greatest story that the Bible has to tell. It is the story of redemption, the redemptive sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us sinful people. The redemptive sacrifice of Jesus Christ for us sinful people. It is a story of how God is redeeming a people for himself. In, uh, I think, some of the sermons back, I had uh, alluded to Gorman's nearly complete descent into disgrace and error. Now, we've reached that point in the story where we are told of Gorman's having reached the very bottom of loss and decadence, even shame. Goma has become a sex slave by the choices that she has made about life and knowledge. I want us now to remember that we are still dealing with the pageantry of God's great love for Israel. So remember that we say that <clears throat> this is real, this is historical, this is autobiographical in the life of the prophet, but it is a pageant. It is an enacted parable, the pageantry of God's great love for Israel as it is being enacted in the real-life story of the holy prophet Hosea and his unfaithful wife, Goma. So we'll move on now to um, the uh, analysis portion. I have only two points here to make. And the first one, of course, the chapter is very small, so you could probably still get three points out of it, I guess, if you wanted. But we, uh, we stuck with two this time. So the first point here will be reconciliation and healing. And we'll go from verse uh, uh, 1 to verse 3. So verses 1 to 3 is what we'll be focusing, and we'll deal with uh, each verse now. So verse 1, God commands Hosea to again go and love the adulteress Goma, the daughter of Deplant. We are told again the profound meaning of this real-life parable. Hosea's abiding love for his unfaithful wife is to be illustrative of God's unending love for Israel. Though Israel be sensual and material and unfaithful, sensual, material, and unfaithful, yet God loves, abides for her. So, it, so uh, Hosea illustrates for us what it means for God to love us. The holy prophet in this pageantry of God's love has raised up a standard. And keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. He's raised up a standard, a standard that shows us the meaning of love itself, which is God. Shows us that this is what God is all about. This is God's love, and this is what love is all about, and this is what God is all about. The prophet instructs us in what it means for us to love. He's telling us 
that if we are going to embrace this, this is what it means. And you will see, we'll come back to this toward our, the end of the sermon uh, to deal with what that means in our individual lives. Verse 2, Gomer's fortunes had so completely changed. Talk about her first going after her lovers. So you can almost see this in some respect as uh, her prostitution being what we call, in some cases, a high-class call girl, etc. And then slowly descending, descending, descending uh, to a street hustler and all of that. And she has now come down to this. She has fallen even further from prostitution into sexual slavery. Goma has sunk lower and lower in the social stratum until at long last she had become a sexual slave in the city of Samaria. She's no longer the owner of her own body and so she may not sell it at her will. Another person owns Goma now. And he may have her when he wills. wills. He has used her. She is no longer valuable to him. He wants to be rid of Goma. He is now willing to let her go for a lower rate than even the minimum established by law. Goma is a used woman. She has reached her nada. She has cheapened herself. So when Hosea comes to buy her back, when Hosea comes to buy her back, there is no debate, no negotiations, no haggling over price. A slave master is anxious to be rid of her. His asking price is no more than what the market will bear. And here the market will not bear much for Goma. God commands Hosea to buy back Goma at just this point in time. And so the holy prophet Hosea buys back his faithless wife, Goma, from the slave market in Samaria for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. He redeems her. He buys her back. There's been some discussions amongst uh, the scholars who've looked at this and uh, about what may have in fact happened here with Goma uh, coming to slavery and being purchased, etc. Uh, Boyce uh, thinks that Goma had thus fallen because of death. That is some, somehow she got caught up in debt, and so is auctioned to, to the highest bidder. I think uh, Boyce's view here is very high. Uh, others are reluctant to acknowledge an auction as such because what is taken for Gorman's purchase price is lower than the minimum required by law. And so you can see in Exodus there, 21, 32, reading again from NASB, if the ox goes a male or female slave, the owner shall give his or her master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. So 30 shekels is really what 
It's a minimum price here. And then in Leviticus 24.4 NASB again. Or if the person is a female, then your assessment shall be 30 shekels. Goma was not auctioned to the highest bidder. She was sold at a market rate in Samaria for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And then verse uh, 3. Goma, having been purchased by Hosea, becomes his property. He owns her now. He too may dispose of her as he wills, even to the point of putting her to death. That's the power he's now gained over her. He has, she is now rather, she is now subject to the fancy of his will however it might be for good or for evil. Even so, the better judgment of good people would counsel Hosea not to waste time and money on Goma. So I, I think I would have given Hosea that counsel. And I think any one of you involved in such relationships, likely I would have given you that counsel as an elder in this church. And I would have encouraged the elders to give that same counsel. And so they would consider Hosea a fool for not doing so. So they told him, don't spend your time with this useless woman. She's not going to value or this useless man. This is of no value to you. I would say that. And if the person persists in that, I said, folly, folly, foolishness has now gained control over him. So that's how they would have considered Goma, consider, I mean, uh, Hosea, a fool for doing otherwise than that kind of counsel. But here the prophet knows that there is a higher principle at work transcending both himself and Goma. Where, and this is something I thought about many years back, a quotation from myself, where the virtues are most severely challenged, there they are best perfected. So, Hosea's love for his wife, love for his faithless wife, faithless and adulterous wife, being illustrative of God's love for his faithless peoples or people burns brightest at just this moment when it is sorely tried. So this is really a great trial of that love, and yet this is the moment that it burns brightest, when he may legitimately, that is according to justice and right, abandon Ogoma. So it would be, it would be legal. And I don't think any code of law, even according to the scripture itself, it would be legal if the holy prophet here would have abandoned Goma to her own well-deserved fate. But the prophet does not do so. He does not leave Goma to her wretchedness. He does not seek vengeance from Goma. Rather, he claims from Goma her love as his moral right and likewise reaffirms his commitment to love, uh, his commitment of love to her. 
affirms his commitment to love her, really. Promising her the fidelity of his love and asking of her the same. He will not easily let go of Goma. This is not merely a matter here of legal obligations. He's not legal, as we said. He's not legally obligated to do this. But, but it is a matter of inner disposition. His love was to outlive hers, that he might win her at last to himself. So you have to think about this, that that is how God is going after us, loving us so much that at last to win us to himself. To his own faithfulness and love, he will show her how to be faithful in love. So the way he models for her what he wants her to be. In this enacted parable, in the real life story of the prophet Hosea, we are brought to appreciate, we are brought to appreciate the incomprehensible love of God. And we will develop that more. Think about it. We need to think about it as it applies to us, and we'll come up with some applications. But it, it is incomprehensible. We are brought to appreciate the incomprehensible love of God and to know that God's love for his people is ineradicable, indestructible. This is the proclamation concerning the astonishing reality of God's love for humanity. God is love. God's love is the decisive motive, the driving force behind history. God, as he deals with us in this world, as fallen as it is, is impelled by mercy. Then he is urged by sin. So he's not, the thing here is that he is not urged to do what he's doing because of sin, but rather he is being impelled, urged to do what he's doing because of mercy, because of his mercy. And so the prophet operating within the mystery of God's love wins his wife back to his love. The testimony of this real-life parable is that healing... Okay, let's go through that again. The testimony of this real-life parable is that healing and reconciliation, not harm and destruction, shall finally prevail. Healing and reconciliation, not harm and destruction, shall finally prevail. So we come now to our second point, the restoration, judgment and restoration, and that would be the last two verses there. Verse, uh, four through, uh, verses 4 through 5. Verse 4. In this verse, For the sons of Israel will live for many days without a king or leader, without sacrifice or memorial stone, and without epoch or household idols. The prophet prophesied loss for Israel as a form of God's discipline of the nation. The kingdom of Israel will suffer dissolution, that there will be no Israelite authorities, that Israel will be deprived of religious worship, 
particularly the adulterous worship that she had become enamored with, that Israel would be deprived of the sacred Levitical priesthood. And capping all of this, Israel will be dispersed and forcefully exiled from the land, pushed out of their own land. And then verse 5, but there will also be a returning, a restoration, a reconciliation of Israel to the Lord her God. Isaiah here proclaims the eventual conversion of Israel to the Lord her God. Israel will come to acknowledge Messiah. It's the hope. Israel will come to acknowledge Messiah. Having been so severely chastened, they will come to God trembling, seeking his goodness. They will be restored to life of priestly dignity in piety, worship, and honor will be restored to life in priestly dignity, piety, worship, and honor. And the, uh, the summary of the text here is from, uh, pass, uh, from, from verse 1. That's the summary of the text of this passage. Verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet is committing adultery as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. Uh, in terms of applications and commitment, <laughs> oh, the depths and the riches, both the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. As from Romans 11, 33 NASB, 1 Peter 1, 18-19 NASB, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as a lamb on blemish and spotless, the blood of Christ. He's focusing on the theme there. The theme there of redemption. And then this is another verse that we've said over and over since we began this uh, series again. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever or whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John 3, 16. Uh, looking at these things, I'm thinking we should pray for the United States. The uh, revival that we heard about in Kentucky, I think at Asbury College, uh, that's uh, good news. We can continue to pray for things like that to expand and grow. We can continue to pray for Israel, even as they manifest themselves, not only as a nation, but the people around the world, Israelites, for, for them to come to know Messiah, for them to come to know Jesus Christ. And we can pray to God for Liberia and Africa. I think in Liberia, and maybe Liberia is a microcosm of Africa, there's, a, there's still a struggle as to which way will you follow? Will you keep with the old ways of the fathers, the traditional religious practices? 
or will you fully embrace Christ as has been the mark of the metaphysical struggle in Liberia since its inception. So we can pray that uh, the ways of Christ, the power of the gospel will indeed triumph. And then look for opportunities to share your faith, which will be presented here in some respect after the service here this evening. Ways in which we can share our faith with our relatives that do not believe, our friends, um, co-workers, and other people, perhaps even people in the church. Uh, we can share our faith with them. Cultivate a disposition. This is why I'm saying for all of us to cultivate a disposition, a stance of love and kindness and mercy and service to our spouse. So, good way to learn that. So again, cultivate a disposition, a stance of love and kindness and mercy and service to our spouse. That is not only for the men toward the women, but the women toward the men. The prophet Hosea has raised up a standard for Christian marriage. The prophet Hosea has raised up a standard for Christian marriage. And Boyce had these words to say. I'm quoting directly from him. And I'm, I have to say I'm in sympathy with what he has to say here. He, he does not isolate himself from what, he, what he's going to say or what he's saying. He includes himself as a part of it. You and I, all of us, are always ready to abandon the standards of the word of God and come down to the standards of the world. We are ready to say that such love demonstrated in the love of Hosea for Goma is impossible for us. It seems like that. I mean, think about it. Almost impossible for us. But it is not impossible if we are truly united to Christ through the Holy Spirit and allowing him to love through us. He's not saying this, that we should will it to be, but rather depending upon the work of the Holy Spirit in us, by God's grace, we can love like this. You say, and he is still dealing with us, you say, do you mean to tell me that if my wife or my husband runs away from me and commits adultery, that I am still to be faithful? Do you mean to tell me that I must continue to love someone like that when I have been wrong in the sanctity of our marriage? has been violated? And this is his response. Yes! That is precisely our standard. And they respond from the person, but that is not fair. True, it is not fair. Who said anything about being fair? It is just the expression of true love. So we're not talking about justice and fairness and all that kind of stuff here. We're simply talking about this kind of love. This is the love that God has shown toward us. This is the standard he has set up for Christian marriage. God does not promise any of us, the quotation continues, God does not promise any of us happiness as we define happiness. We are called to faithfulness. And it is in obedience to God in such difficult situations that the great spiritual victories are won. When we are so obedient, then we can triumph in a great way spiritually. 
that close to court. This is my own word here. The incomprehensible love of God is being presented here as model for us. He's saying that we are called to love this way. And then I thought that this also, this passage is a call to holiness, to a great personal godliness. And I, I quoted this. Uh, this is from uh, Count Leo Tolstoy, the Russian writer. He says, uh, everyone thinks of changing the world, but where, or where, are those who think of changing themselves? Uh, this is, is what he said. And I shared this with one of, uh, one of our congregants. I told them, I said, I'm going to be preaching on this, and this is one of the applications. And the congregants sent back to me a very uh, reflective statement. I think we, and this is the quotation, I think we can say if you do change yourself, you will of necessity have changed the world. That was a rich response from one of you. Want to change the world? Change yourself. Let us pray. Holy Father, we come humbly before you this day in the name of Jesus. We ask that all these things that you have taught us through your word, that you would give us the grace, your spirit will work in our hearts to cause us to want to, to be like you, to look like you, to respond to reality like you. We ask, O oh God, that this, the proclamation of this word here would have affected every one of us, including me, the preacher of this word, and especially me, every one of us in this place. We ask you to bless us, to look upon us with with mercy to uh, grant us uh, your grace to cause us to prosper in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yet now, O God, our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen.